Hi, good morning. This week's Parsha, we're being a new Sefer, the Sefer Vayikra. Uh, in Latin, it's known as Leviticus. Why is it known as Leviticus? It's actually, in the, uh, in the words of Chazal, it's Sefer HaKohanim. So it's the book of the Kohanim, all the laws of the Kohanim. Kohanim coming from the tribe of Levi. So when they translated into Latin, they called it Leviticus, the book of the Kohanim, the book of Levium talks about uh, really something that in today's day and age, and probably going back uh, many, many years, is quite controversial. The idea of offering up uh, sacrifices, bringing offerings as a way of uh, connecting or expressing our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's very interesting is that the English translates it as sacrifice. In Hebrew, it's carbon. Those are completely two, two completely different meanings. You know, sacrifice means that you have to be giving up something of yourself. Carbon comes from the word karov, is I'm bringing myself close. A complete different uh, focus in terms of what's happening. But the Ramban brings down from the Sechah Zavachim is that a person is supposed to view the animal being offered on the Mizbeach, on the altar, as it's, it's in a, a vicarious expression of him. He should be there. It's my fats, my uh, flesh, my bones. That, that that's, there's somehow there is some type of vicarious expression of it should be me there, especially in those korbanas that are for atonement. Right. And actually in the Hirat zone, if you take korbanas in the morning, we'll talk about that a little bit, there's a Hirat zone that is brought down and you say that please accept this, what I have said, and you say this should be my flesh, we, we, may, we, make, we allude to that notion, to that concept. The saying of Korbanas is, is really itself a, a, a interesting notion because it's almost become the stepchild in most services. You know, so you go to, uh, the Svarim are much more uh, makbed on it, but in most school they want to finish quickly. They cut Korbanas out of the davening completely, but the first, uh, you know, five to ten minutes of davening in the morning, if you look in your siddur, are the Korbanas, and we, What's the concept of Neshalem Paranas Vasenu, that we pay with our lips the offerings that if we had the Beis Amigdash, we would have brought. And that's really based on a Gemara. The Gemara says to, uh, that Hashem came to Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu said, Vame Eida. He said, you know, you're giving all this to me, but how do I know that my children are going to be able to merit to hold on to the land and to be able to, you know, have all the blessings that you are offering? So Hashem says to him, this is by the Brisbane Absarim, you'll bring offerings. <coughs> so he said, but what if there's no Beis HaMikdash? He says, when they recite the Korbanis, I'll consider it as if they brought it. It's a huge, huge concept, you know. And fortunately, it's become the stepchild of davening is, is the, the Korbanis. <coughs> I remember that uh, when I was a high school principal in Miami, so it was, it was a student switching over in 10th grade, 9th grade, 10th grade from another one of the local Yeshiva high schools. And you give what's called a faher. 
Right? You prepare a piece of Gemara and something that they learned last year, and you ask them questions. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, today you're happy if they remember what Masechta they were learning. You know, they can say the Masechta, but so this kid knew the Masechta and he knew the Perak, third Perak, and Masechta Sukkah, so Masechta Sukkah, you know, Lulav Agazel, and um, he. Uh, I asked him to read the Mishnah, which he was able to do, in Lulav HaGozal, the Ayavesh, a stolen Lulav, a dry Lulav, his puzzle is disqualified. And Rashi says, what's wrong with a dry Lulav? So Rashi cites the Pasuk, it says, Zekeli Vanavehu, this is my God, and I'm supposed to adorn him, beautify him, and it's not the fun of the mitzvahs, because I'll learn that you're supposed to, when you, the mitzvahs that you use from Hashem, are supposed to be beautiful. So that's the way we look for the most beautiful way uh, it should be the nicest Sefer Torah, the nicest Talas, the nicest filling within your means or whatever it is. So, therefore, a lulav that is dried out, you are not fulfilling serving Hashem with something beautiful. And the Pasuk Rashi cites is Zekeli Vanavehu. Right. Now, we should know where is the Pasuk Zekeli Vanavehu found in Davening. Right. It's in Az Yashir. In Az Yashir, that's in. Sukkot Zimra. That's be the, the the blessings before Kriyashma. The, the the before we start Baruch Hu, right? Is there's the, the section of davening called as Sukkot Zimra. So I asked the kid, let's see if he knows. I said, where in davening do we say Zekeli Vanaveu? So many things and things like this. He says, you know, in my yeshiva we didn't say Korbanos. You know, so I'm thinking to myself, never now. It's already become that your sugar zimra has already become like uh, like korbanis. But nevertheless, you know, the korbanis itself, uh, as I said, has has created quite uh, large in in today's day and age, would seem to be rather, rather antiquated to the point, by the way, that if you go into many many. Uh, not recommending, but you go into reform services, or you look at the Sidurim, they've taken out the whole notion, there is no allusion to, uh, in their tefillah to korbanis. I consider it to be, you know, uh, something that is... The, 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 they don't say, they cut it out completely, no mention at all. You look in, uh, you know, because it's, it's, like it's antiquated, it's uh, the sophisticated 21st century Jew does not focus on sacrifices. You know, Carbonus is also their whole yeah. point of view on, on Kohanim is very yeah. that's 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 for the past. Right. Also Kohanim. you're creating is creating elite set you know, uh, that elitist, the concept of the chosenness, the Jews themselves special, you know. But about Corbonus specifically, they say you know, they say that Rav Cook somewhere you know, he, he was recorded saying that Lovo, you know, in the future, you know, we're going to all be vegetarians. I'm not sure exactly how that works, you know. A tofu carbon pesach just doesn't uh, doesn't do it for me. But uh, I remember my wife has this thing; she does not eat lamb, whether it's a physical reaction or it's psychological. We could argue, but nevertheless, you want, you know. So one of the Valley Torah dinners, it was like an open buffet, whatever, they would, and they had a carving station. I wasn't paying attention. I went up there. She's sitting. And I brought her... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't hear the end of it. You know, and, and, and we get home and I'm still you know, hearing about this, 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 this lamb. And Malkil at the time was like uh, seven years old. You know, it, was, it was before 
before uh, Pesach around now, and he's learning in school. And, and she says, no. She says that you should have been more careful. How do you bring me a lamb? And he says to her, he says, what are you going to do in this Korban Pesach? I remember that. Too. What are you going to do in this Korban Pesach? You, know, you have to learn how to eat lamb. But anyway, the point is that the, the, these are the laws, the laws of Korbanus. And, uh, but, you know, it's fascinating for me is that my own, my own Masorah, my own Rosh Hashiva, everything has to be relevant and real. And it has to be applied. So what do you do when you open up a Sefer Vayikra and you learn about Korbanus? You know, it would seem to be, how do you, how do you make that relevant? How do you make, apply that? And I think that's one of the things we're going to focus on today, which is, you know, the parental messages that can be drawn from even something like Sefer Vayikra. I want to focus on that to a certain extent, because I think there's a tremendous amount that can be learned. I want to share with you first an idea that my own son, my son, uh, Rabbi Yitzchok, uh, uh, he's a, a Rebbe in Miami, and gives shurim to Balabatim. He said over a, a beautiful idea. If you look in the Sefer Torah, and probably in most Sedurim today also, the word Vayikra is written with a diminutive olive, mm-hmm. with a little olive, right? And Rashi says as follows. Rashi brings down, he compares that, he says that when Hashem came to Moshe, right, Hashem came to teach Moshe, it says, Vayikra el Moshe, with the olive. So when Hashem came to Bilam, Bilam was the non-Jewish prophet, it says Vayikar, without the olive. Like he happened upon him. He happened to bump into him. And Raji says there's a big difference because Vayikra is a Lashon Chiba. Chiba means a Lashon of love. It's a Lashon of forethought, caring. Whereas Vayikar doesn't have any of that emotional connection with it. The way I explain it, I always I tell my, my administrators, we, have, we start a policy a number of years ago that we divide up the parent body and every administrator should at least twice a year make a personal phone call to a parent, how things are going, what's, what's happening, you know, any, anything you're concerned about, what's working, just get a, we have a list and we make the notes and we share the information. You know, it always comes up inevitably that one of the uh, principals will say to me, oh, I don't have to call them, I met them at carpool. And we discussed. I said, it's not the same. I said, if you make a phone call, that shows that you're taking the time out because I want to hear what you have to say. If I bump into you at carpool, that means that really what we're talking about is not that important. Why? Because it's possible I wouldn't have bumped into you at carpool. So it needs that phone call to show that forethought, to show that, that interest. So by Yikar, by Bilam, Hashem's relationship with him is like happenstance. Like almost, you, I bumped into you. Whereas by Moshe, right, so the Balaturim brings down the Chazal, is that Moshe was Anav Mikol Adam. He was most humble of all. And he didn't want it to be like in bold letters that relationship he has with Hashem. So he asked Hashem to make the olive small. So at first glance, it reads as Vayikar. You look a little, you see the Vayikra because of the humility that Moshe had. But itself, the word itself represents the love and affection that Hashem had for Moshe. Right? In the entrance of, introduction of Vayikra, he's about to teach him all the laws of. Uh, there's another Medrash that says that that the diminutive Aleph actually represents school children, little kids. Right? 
And why? Because the Medrash says it is recommended we start teaching kids from Sefer Vayikra. That should be the first thing we teach them. Why? Because Vayikra deals with all the laws of holiness and purity. So let those holy and pure souls that are untainted by sin come and study the laws of holiness and purity. That's the... Right. And in, I don't know that in the United States, I know any place that does it, there are some that will do the first two or three verses from Mayikra and then switch back to Lech Lecha or Bereshis. It's very difficult to understand that that will be the first place you start teaching little kids. But that's what the Medrash says. In Eretz Yisrael, in the, especially in the Hasidish Chadorim, you start with Vayikra. So my son said, you know, you have two messages coming from the same word. One is, it's the message of the affection that Hashem had for Moshe before then teaching him these halachas. And the other ones, this is where children should start learning. He says, what's the connection? He says, beautiful idea. He says, first and foremost, if the Rebbe wants to be successful, there has to be chiba. You have to have that love and affection and connection. If you don't have that love and affection and connection, you're not going to be successful in teaching the kids. Chiba is affection, endearment. Like Habibi, you heard the word Habibi? My beloved? Right. So therefore, so therefore, that is the obligation. We're learning the same thing where Moshe Rabbeinu was being taught by Hashem, which begins with a Lashon of Chiba. That's the way school children have to be approached. If they don't feel that love, they don't feel that connection, you're wasting your time. And, and, and even worse, obviously, could be... Yeah, we don't start with Vayikra. I'm saying in the United States, the place don't start. I'm just saying the Medrash recommends it. You know, I, I think it's it's. Um, but uh, you know, so so that's just. I think mean, that's a, a beautiful introduction. That's an idea that uh, and, and, and a wonderful message. What I want to focus on today is a, another idea, and. Starts with the verse eleven in chapter two. Is everybody can see it? Kol amincha, any meal offering, asher takriva l'Hashem, lo se'aseh chametz. That the offerings, there was flower offerings, there was actually even even baked good offerings that were brought on the mizbeach. You could not have them be chametz. Right, like a Pesach, Pesach idea. They could not come on the Mizbech. All of the in Korbanus in the Beis Amigdash, when they involved either flour or bread, was actually matzahs. So it wasn't loaves. Loaves were matzahs. They, they, there's a, the truth is that if you eat by the Temanim today on Pesach, their matzahs are spongy. We, because of the, the strict nature, we, so we like, like, really like burn it, like we like make it, like, but really it could be without, still fulfilling the, it could be, a, it could be a, a spongy item, but Lamaisa, but the bottom line is, no, it had to be matzah. Even though, even the, you're talking about the lechem aponim that was switched, were made out of matzah. There were two times where chametz was involved in a service, but it wasn't actually brought on the mizbeach. That's by the Lachme Toda. You had to bring 40 loaves of bread. Ten of those were actually Chametz loaves. But that did not go. They were eaten by the Kohanim and the people. They didn't go on the Mizbeach. 
as well as the Shtealechem that's on Shvuas that accompany the certain garment. Again, not on the Mizbeach. No Chomets on the Mizbeach. Again, Kichol Sa'or. Because all Sa'or, Sa'or is leaven. Sa'or is the agent that you put into the flour to cause it to rise. So call Sa'or, Vachol Devash. Devash is honey, but it's any sweetening uh, uh, agent. Lo Saktiru Menashel Hashem should not go up on smoke, on the, on the Mizbeach to Hashem. Alright? So we have here, it cannot be chametz, which means it cannot be soor, cannot be honey. Now the simple understanding is that you want the item in its pristine state. You don't want to be putting condiments. The mizbech, the, the korbanis, the, the, uh, the flour, everything has to be without adding anything to it. Let's skip down to psukim. V'chol karben min every carbon offering that you have, Bamelach Timloch has to be salted with salt. Below Sashbis Melech Brisashekecha, do not uh, leave out or hold back from the covenant of salt that Hashem has. Rashi discusses what exactly the covenant is. I'm not going to get into what the covenant of the salt is, but nevertheless, I'll call Karbancha Takriv Melech with every offering. And, so, and you salted it very well on all sides, the Rambam brings down, before the offering was brought on. So now, that seems to create a bit of a question. If you're not made, supposed to, you know, you want to have it in its pristine state, so we're not adding leaven, we're not adding uh, sugar, honey, whatever, but then why, why, are we also, why are we obligated to have salt? And by the way, this custom of, uh, this, this halacha of having salt is the reason for our custom that we do what? Salt for the challah, because remember the shulchan in your home is the mizbeach in the base of mikdash. So therefore, every time with challah we dip it in salt. That's from this is the the source. Throw out a question. I'm not going to work on it right now. Then why is it that the custom is that we dip in honey from Rosh Hashanah till uh, if you're not supposed to use honey on your uh, question? Maybe you can think about. But anyway, but the point is what I want to discuss is the meaning of this, uh, not using leaven, not using uh, uh, honey, but actually that we're supposed to use uh, salt, right? Yes, go ahead. Um, does it also have two different meanings I mean, there's no question, salt itself, again, I don't, is, is, is something that the wars were fought of a salt, but I mean, then bring it in gold vessels, we don't find that, you know, that, you know we don't, you know, okay. gold, gold, right? but this actually, you had to be, you had to use salt. Right. So, I'm going to share with you just uh, a, a, an idea that is written by the Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch was a fascinating, it was a, uh, a, a a, a great sage, his identity of who he was is not clear of Zerachia Halevi, is not clear, was lived about 800 years ago. And just you see how timely, even back then, he brings down his introduction that he saw that his son and their friends had nothing to do on Shabbos. And they would get into trouble, they would run around doing nothing in trouble. So what he decided was, he gathered them all together, and whatever the weekly parsha was, he would take the mitzvahs from that and discuss with them 
with some of the basic halachas of the mitzvah and then give reasons. Shorshah mitzvah, the reasons for the mitzvah to try and draw them in, make it interesting as to what the reasons for these mitzvahs are. Right? And he brings down. It happens to be, he might have done this for his kid, but this is one of the most scholarly works, you know, that, that the greatest scholars pour over and have written commentaries on the Sefer HaChinuch. But he's writing it as if he's explaining this, which he is. It's based on the classes that he was giving his kid on Shabbos with, his, with their friends. That's the... Um, so I, I want to go through this, uh, a, 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 just a little bit, not every detail of it, but I just want to show you his take on things before we circle back and, 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 and look at it ourselves. All right. Let's see if I can find it. That's not it. Here. All right. I'll leave the English on and I'll read the Hebrew. All right. Shalola HaKriv Make it a bit bigger. Shalola hakriv saor odvash. Right? Not to offer leaven or honey on top of the altor. Right? That's the verse we just uh, read. So he says as follows. The nichvala, and it's the, 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 this concept is repeated a second time. The uh, is straining us from using... Uh, so this idea is mitzvahed. Honey is in a general term for what is known as the honey that we're familiar with, which would be bee honey. But it also includes in it uh, date honey, right? And in fact, that usually when the Torah refers to honey, it's referring to date honey and not uh, bee honey, all right? When you say that's Erez Zavas Chalavadvash, that land of flowing of milk and honey, the honey that's referred to over there is honey that is coming from dates, maybe figs, right? But it's also including any sap that comes from uh, produce, from fruit. that is sweeter. And it's also included in, in, in the incense that was burnt on the Mizbeach. Shalola says, don't put it in there. <coughs> and, and, and the, the incense makers will tell you that actually dvash is actually enhances the katoris and incense. However, the Torah tells us, Asra, so you're not allowed to bring honey on the Mizbeah. Fine. Now, Shorshah Mitzvah Zu. This is the roots. Now this is the, 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 the reasoning, intellectual reasoning that is coming up with why perhaps there, what's the understanding intellectually for this mitzvah. So he says as follows. So, Sharsha mitzvah zu, ne'lamim ma'od. They're very hidden. It's not, it's not that apparent when you first read it. Limtsa, filuremes katamem, even to find the smallest hint as to what could be the reasoning behind this. For ulam, however, he says as follows. That I already, at the beginning of my uh, words, when I started my introduction to my Sefer, I already made it clear. The reason I give these reasons, right, for the Torah, is because I want to sweeten it. I want to make the book something that the children will find 
interesting when they come to study Torah. They should look at Torah as something that can pique their curiosity and has relevancy and benefit for them to be studying. And this way, let them accept it, at least according to whatever their uh, uh, intellectual uh, weaknesses are, whatever they, but at least at some level, according, each one according to their abilities, should at least accept that there is something in this for me, because there is some kind of relevance or, or a, a curiosity that is piqued by its study. All right? Now, this is and the approach to mitzvahs, the approach to study of Torah should not be in the beginning for them, like something dogmatic, that's something that is sealed, that they have no understanding doing. Because they might rebel against it. That in their youth, that doesn't mean anything to them, and they have no relevance, they can't understand it, they will rebel. Right? And then they walk away from it forever. Right? They yell for Behevel and they will forever go in emptiness. It's like unbelievable. He's saying is that, you know, if you don't let the kids feel that there is a connection to it, then they're gone. Therefore, I'm going to write my intention, what strikes me at first glance, what perhaps could be some reasoning to this mitzvah, and, and no one should critique me, meaning the reasons aren't exact, don't stand up or match up to other things. Okay, just understand, I'm doing this for the sake of the kids. We don't know all the reasons, but we've got to try, and, and, and there's a benefit in trying over here, because I think there'll be a ta'elis for the kids involved. All right? And he goes through, and he says as follows. He says that, we know that for something to, to be chametz, you have to leave it, it has to rise. Right? As opposed to matzah, you have to keep working with it and you, so you don't let it rise. So he takes on that the idea of chametz is the message that how important alacrity is. And that chametz is, avoiding chametz is, like, is, 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 is trying to distance oneself from, from, uh, from laziness. So that's, that's the message there. Again, following the idea that the idea of the Korb Mizbeach is, has message directly to us. It's like, whatever is applying to the Korban of Mizbeach is applying to us, and therefore we get to instill in ourselves the importance of alacrity and not being lazy and waiting. If you wait too long, when the matzah is 18 minutes, it really comes to you cannot use it. So he says that's one of the messages. And he says that the message of the... Um, take a look, we're not going to go through the whole thing over here, we don't have time, but he says, and the message of the Harchaka from Dvash, he says, is that minimizing pleasure. That, and he says it's interesting, beautifully, he says over here is, and, and re- regarding the distance of honey, we shall uh, say to tender, uh, to tender children, in order to discipline them, that the cause in, is to make a similarity, but a person should minimize running after food that are sweet for the palate, like it is the custom of glut, gluttons and drunkards, who are always drawn after everything sweet. And he should place into his heart that when you eat, the purpose of eating is to bring health to the body, not to bring pleasure to the body. That's this could be written, what's that? That's why salt's not honey. That's why salt on the Korban, no. 
Well, uh, yeah, yeah he, doesn't, he doesn't touch that. I mean, if it, but he, he says like this. And therefore, the purpose should be for the protection of health and the limbs. And therefore, it is it's fit for every intelligent person not to plan his food and his drink towards the intention of pleasure of the sensation of one's throat, right? But rather to what is going to make you healthier. And this is written in 800 years ago. It's like, you know, it's unbelievable. Like this could be coming out of uh, one of the self-help books that you, uh, that you read today, all right? Then he, and, and, and then he goes into that perhaps maybe Sa'or Levin is also Lashna distance oneself from Gaiva, from, uh, uh, from, from being haughty or being the arrogance. Okay. So I think, I think, I think, listen, I think this is very relevant message that's been taken is that basically distance yourself, uh, encourage alacrity, distance yourself from laziness, distance yourself from ple- seeking uh, hedonistic or pleasure-based decisions, rather to be what's healthy, and also not being arrogant. That's, he thinks. I want to share with you something that I had heard uh, from Rav Mordechai Gifter. Mordechai Gifter was a reshiva in Tells, yeshiva Tells was a city in Lithuania, a, a, a village. They had a big yeshiva there called Tells, and they moved and ended up today it's in Wycliffe, Ohio. And he was a yeshiva in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Wycliffe. And uh, he said, I thought, a, a, a beautiful, beautiful idea. I want to use that idea to develop what we want to talk today is the focus of parenting. That's Malkiel, yes. So, among the challenges that we have as parents, you know, to find the balance of how we're supposed to parent our children, that's really one of the most difficult uh, aspects of parenting. And that's why we really, you know, the the most... uh, the best thing we can do is daven to Hashem to give us the guidance to do what's right because it's so difficult to know what the thing that is correct to do. But one of the things we have as follows is that we know we want to build confidence. We want to instill in our children a sense of self-worth, you know, confidence. On the other hand, we've got to be careful that it's not going to develop into arrogance. Right? Uh, against Gava. Right. Too much confidence sometimes can develop into uh, arrogance or uh, entitlement, which is, a, which is a big problem as well. Right? The other piece that is missing over here is that it's very important to build the child up based on who the child is and what the abilities of the child is. Unfortunately, one of the mistakes we make is that we don't, we bu- don't build a child up based on who he is, but we try either for a number of different reasons. One is because, unfortunately, many of us live vicariously through our children. And it is, on one hand, there is what to be said, I made these mistakes, I know what things are not going to be good for you because I know what happened for me or I know the opportunities that I would have liked to have had and I didn't have so I live vicariously through my child 
And therefore, he becomes my extension of what I would have liked to have been or could have become and what I want my child to become. And that's a huge, huge problem because what ends up happening, it's not based on who the child needs to become. It's based on who you would like him to become. And that's, that's a big, big problem in, in terms of going into something like that. Now, I mean, give an example of that. You know, you go to Blue Star Baseball or you go to the father and son basketball, you know, the kids are playing fine. Who's screaming and beating each other up on the sideline? Right? It's the parents, you know, because in many cases, this is their vicarious way, you know, of, that's just a, a small example of that. By the way, just a third area where there is, and this is probably number one of the mon- number one reasons that children will rebel and shake off that the path, even when the path is the right path, perhaps the children, that parents are trying to direct their children, is, you know, your daughter is going to leave the house. And you're not happy with length of skirt, you're not happy with the length of sleeves, or, you know, you can't go out like that. What will the neighbors think? Children are very, very sensitive to why are you telling me that I shouldn't be doing something? Is it because intrinsically it's either it's not good for me, or is it because you're concerned it's going to look bad? For you. And if the message that they constantly are hearing, what's this one going to say? What's this one going to think? How's it going to look in the community? How? They will rebel. Because at the end of the day, you're not doing it because why? Because it's something that is beneficial for them. You just want it done because you don't want to make it look how it looks bad for you. And that becomes a very, very difficult... The, the shows we dive in at, the schools we choose to go to, the, you know, are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it what really is beneficial for our kids? And that's a, 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 a very, very difficult thing to, uh, to understand. I heard once my Rashiva said a beautiful idea. He said that a bar mitzvah... You ever think about the word bar mitzvah? Right? By bris, we say a ben bris. Child is a ben bris. Ben is the Hebrew word. Yet, in, when a child becomes bar mitzvah, we use the word bar, son of, the son of the mitzvah. The bar is Aramaic. Why is that the term that's used? Why should be ben mitzvah? B'nai mitzvah. We say b'nai mitzvah, right? So why is it, why is it bar mitzvah and not ben mitzvah? So he said the Aramaic word bar means son, it also means outside of. Outside of, meaning outside of you. That you have to realize a child is becoming bar mitzvah, he's no longer an extension of who you are. He is an independent self. He's not, he's not you anymore. He's not connecting. You're cutting the apron strings. If you continue to see him as an extension of you, you're not going to be success, successful in the way you're directing him. You have to see him as a self contained being. This is a, an individual, independent human being. We need to give him the tools, but it can't be that he's just a connection of what you would like for yourself and that he would want. So that's a, so therefore we're talking about A. So now, how do we then raise children A with confidence 
and build them up to be able to make choices and deal with all the pressures that they're going to be dealing with without getting them arrogant, without getting them entitled, without getting them, without giving them the sense that you're doing it for yourself, but you're really doing it for them. We need, we need to get to know our children, the essence of who they are. And by the way, even if we see the potential of who they are, one of the big mistakes we make is we deal with them based on that potential being actualized already without recognizing, one second, there's a long way to go before you're going to Harvard. You know, you're not Einstein yet. You know, there's, so recognizing what the potential could be and recognizing how we can get to that. So these are all challenges. Now, by the way, these challenges are not only challenges that we have with our children. We really have those challenges. It starts with ourselves. Do we have an inflated view? Do we know who we are? Do we have an inflated view who we ourselves are? Are we doing things based on what everyone else perceives as opposed to what we really need to be doing for ourselves? So it really, being a successful parent starts with taking an account of are you successfully focusing on these things yourself? Okay. Comes along with Mordechai Gifter and says a beautiful, beautiful idea. It's just like this. There's a huge difference between what something sweet like sugar does or honey and what salt does. He says, what sugar does, it changes the taste of something. Right? A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. There's a reason why, because we don't want to taste the medicine. What, 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 what a sweetener does distorts the actual taste or masks the actual taste of what something is. Whereas salt does the opposite. Salt enhances, salt brings out, just got to be careful, not too much salt, right? Salt brings out the essence of what something is. And says Rav Gifter, he says, that's the message. The message is, is that we have to be careful, and I'm, I'm applying it as a parenting piece. So we have to be careful is that you bring out the true essence of either who you are or who your kids are, which is the, the message of the salt, and not the message of the sweetener, that you distort and change who they are to something else who they're not. Right? For obvious reasons, as we, as we said. And I, I added the piece about the leaven as well, the leaven too, that does inflate. The idea of, like we saw in the Chinook, that this idea of gaiva that you have to be very careful is that you don't give them an inflated notion of who they are. It's very interesting. There's a prohibition in the Torah that you're not allowed to flatter someone. Chanifut. You're not allowed to flatter anybody. But the way the Torah writes it, don't flatter, and it, and it, and it, it calls it murder, spilling someone's blood. It's a connection. Uh, flattering someone, I understand you shouldn't do it. The lack of integrity, honesty. Why the conceal like spinning so giving somebody a false image of who they are. It's like you're killing their identity. You're killing who they really are because now they think they're someone else and they're not that. It's like you've killed them. It's how they, they, uh, that's how the Torah writes it. But the message, I think, and we're talking about how can you get parental message from Vayikra? I'm just, this, I think one of the, this is parenting 101. Build them up with who they are. 
who they are, potentially who they can be. Don't inflate it. Don't distort it. That's the message of the salt. Focus on the essence of who they are. Bring out who they are. Give them confidence with who they are. Show them who they can be if they go through what they need to do to get to who that, that is. Don't make them arrogant. Don't, make, don't allow them to be, feel entitled. And don't distort them either because of you know, giving them a false sense of who they are. And, and, and even worse, where it's because you are trying to live vicariously through who they are. They are not you. They contain parts of you, but they are not you. Let them live and become who they need to be, not who you want them to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah.